Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 62. Psalm 62, looking at verse 9, the Bible says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they're altogether lighter than vanity. Our lesson this morning is entitled, The Folly of Relying on Men. When you think about the idea of relying on men, if you were to look at the New King James, it says they are lighter than vapor. They're at the end of verse 9. The idea there being there's no weight to them. You think about those times in our lives that maybe you have tried to find someone that you can rely on. Sometimes we find that we try to do that when hard times are coming, but if we're careful and really thinking about it, we should always be looking for those that we can rely on and look at, look for them before those difficult times come. You know, we look for them when bad times come, but we should know who they are before those bad times arrive, shouldn't we? When you think about that verse there a moment ago we read from Psalm 62, when it says, Surely men of low degree are a vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. If you were to weigh them together, it means they're both lighter than vapor. It means they both have no weight to them. We are encouraged throughout the Bible to choose those whom we, who we rely on very carefully. In fact, the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs reminds us that the wise man chooses his, his friends carefully because the wicked will lead them astray. When we think about that idea, we think about those who we rely on. In spiritual matters, we have to be careful where we put our trust. We need to always remember that God is the one whom we rely on. We may seek advice and maybe some insight sometimes from others. But friends, we have to realize that God and his word is his standard for everything we do in this life. So even those who we love very, very much, if they give us advice, maybe unknowingly, but if they give us advice that is not in line with God's word, we shouldn't be one who follows it. You think about Psalm 62 and verse 9, I, I'm stuck with the, the word there, they're lighter than breath or lighter than vapor, as it's found in the New King James. As you look at verse 9, we think about the ways of men and how they carry no weight. The ways of men have no lasting hope. You think about that for a moment. How often do you hear something? Well, let's think about it this way. How often have you heard that eggs are bad for you? And then you turn around and then you hear, well, eggs are good for you. Don't eat the yellow, only eat the egg white, right? Or don't, yeah, don't eat the yellow, just eat the egg white, right? We hear different things, right? See, mankind sometimes is that, that exact same way. Their ways change so often, you really can't put much stock in them. It's interesting as you think about it that we think about God's commands, have they changed over time sin has always been sin right the transgression of god's law has always been regarded as lawlessness and sin is lawlessness as we find in the new testament right that has remained true throughout time for example god has always condemned old testament and in the new testament homosexuality right has mankind always been one who has been so condoning of it? 
You know, there was a time that you didn't speak of it because we knew that it was wrong. We knew that it was unnatural. But yet today we find that man has changed its way of thinking into trying to condone it. Do you realize that God's word still says the exact same thing it's always said? That is an abomination that's against nature, Romans chapter 1. See, the ways of man change so often, but God's way has never changed. His commands have always remained the same. That's why I hear people talk about a certain section of Scripture, and they'll say, well, we're going to go back, we're going to restudy that. It really means they're going to go back, and they're going to read it, and they're going to come back with a difference of opinion from what the Bible actually says. That's what they're talking about. The ways of men have no lasting hope, but, the, but they disappear like a vapor, leaving man in the cold and leaving man oftentimes away from God. We find that those individuals in the Bible sometimes, not all of them, but many of them are led astray by those who were their acquaintances. You know, think about Jeremiah and how in, verse, in chapter 20 references those who were his acquaintances. Those who he knew firsthand, right? And how because of his stance and wanting to do that which is right, wanting to proclaim God's word, the Bible says that his acquaintances were now watching for his stumbling, as you look there in verses 8 and following. See, mankind changes. If you change your, if you keep your standard of God in your, in your sight, and mankind changes, well, who gets upset? Many times it's man. We have to remember who we are to rely on. Think about this for a second. Think about ill-gotten gains and how they do not profit. When we say ill-gotten gains, we're talking about many times the way a person profits is sinful. Ill-gotten gains, I think of, one of the first things I think of is gambling in all its forms. Lottery tickets, raffle tickets. <laughs> You know, we, we, we kind of downplay sometimes raffle tickets because many times it involves children. But what are you doing? You're purchasing something with the hope of buying something else, right? With a chance you may not buy, be able to purchase anything at all. It's gambling. It's no different than playing poker for money or playing any card game for money or buying a lottery ticket for money. You ever been in line at the store, just pick one and watch someone buy a lottery ticket? and watch them lose, and turn around and buy another one, and watch them lose. I'll admit, sometimes it's quite entertaining, because I think, well, how long will it take before they learn? Now I've seen them do it two, three times. Not a dollar here, a dollar there, and the amount doesn't matter. I'm talking 10, 20, 30 dollars at a time. Let's try again, and then win five dollars and get excited. I think it's a bumper sticker on his cabinet my father-in-law has lottery is a tax on those who are bad at math and he's right it is it is also ill-gotten gains because in order to have the ability to win you have to be able to steal from others I mean, one definition of one term or one dictionary rather defines gambling as a way of, of, of theft by consent people are consenting to you taking their money away from them ill-gotten gains do not profit and there are more ways to have, to profit or to gain by ill-gotten, in ill-gotten or sinful ways. If you look at verse 10 of, of Psalm 62, it says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. 
If your riches increase and not set your heart upon them. Think about that for a second. What do you think that is talking about? If your riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. And you don't set your heart on riches. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous and being successful. But if that's our only heart's desire, that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? We want to work hard and provide for our families. And that's totally different from just saying, I want to have all the money that I can possibly have. We find here in verse 10, notice what he says. If riches increase, notice there he says if, not when, but if. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. What happens if we begin to allow money or material things to be our focus? You know, Paul addresses this when he talks to Timothy, how there are those who have gone after uh, you know, the love of money, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows, right? Pierce themselves through with many sorrows because of their pursuit of wealth. We find here in verse 10, it says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. We want to be those who are not taking away from others. We want to be those who are not oppressing others or putting our trust in those who are very, you might say, strong or oppressive in their nature. We have many leaders who are like that today. We're not to trust in riches gained by wickedness. Wickedness leads to dependency upon more wickedness. And I remember one lady who went to a casino somewhere and she won enough money to pay her rent. She went back the next time and she lost money. Much more than what her rent was. It didn't matter. What is she doing? She is prospering by ill-gotten gains, right? She's taking from others. It doesn't matter if we're prosperous or if we fail, we're still in the wrong for even attempting to do so. Think about where, per, where power and mercy belongs, keeping our focus most of the time this morning in Psalm 62. Think about for a moment how God has spoken. God has spoken and showed the true power belongs to him and to him alone. If you look at verse 11 of Psalm 62, the Bible says, God has spoken once, twice, I've heard this, that power belongeth unto God. God has accomplished more in six days than mankind has accomplished in decades, in thousands of years. Think about that for a moment. In six days, the Bible reveals that God created everything from heaven or from earth on upward, right? Including a living creature. You know, sometimes I kind of get a little amused when I hear people of technology talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and how well it's advanced. And they'll talk about how far they've come and also talk about how short and how poor it really is. And how weak it is, the same exact person trying to, to really create something that looks just like a human being. And they, well, they only fail. It's, they they'll many times admit that it's really just a very weak impersonation. And they have tried for years to create that. Many times picking back off of the knowledge of others. But we have in just one example. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, how in six days God created everything, including mankind, a living, breathing being who lived and breathed and made decisions and free will all upon his own. And he did so from the dust of the ground. Mankind can't come close. 
We find in verse 11, God hath spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongeth to God. God, unlike worldly people today, shows mercy. He shows love to mankind. Look at Psalm 62 and verse 12. We're going to look at the other part here in a second. He says, also unto thee, a continuation of verse 11, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. You know, sometimes when we show mercy to people, it kind of gets thrown back at us, don't we? Doesn't it? We get taken advantage of. We have to realize to some degree that's going to happen. But how many times have you maybe wanted to find mercy from others, maybe because you've done something wrong and you don't find much mercy at all? And the world is not full of mercy. No, instead of the world being forgiving, what do we see? We see on television a man's divorce case being publicized and being drug out and made into a thousand different memes. That's not what God desires. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing good about any of that. But what does that show you the world's focus? They're not concerned about any one of those individuals. They want to see how they can profit. How often do we see those types of things you know, publicized on television. I've, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention, but I don't remember seeing a whole lot of divorce cases on television unless there's a singular purpose behind it. Because when you do that, you clearly don't care about anyone involved at all. There is no mercy in that. God, however, shows mercy unlike mankind. Looking at Psalm 50 and looking at verse 15, he says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Call upon me in the day of trouble. You want to find out who your friends are, let bad things happen, and see who sticks around. You want to find out how strong you are as a Christian, wait till everything seems around you to be falling down, and see if you're going to still stand up for God and do what is right. You know, we think about everything that's going on, and people like to go back, and myself sometimes included, and look at COVID and say, well, that really showed us where people stood. But we're honest, many times we realized that we knew where they stood long before that. It's just some things are brought to the surface, aren't, aren't they? He says in verse 15, Call upon me in a day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. There's nothing more discouraging to try to call upon someone when you need help with something because you need help as an emergency. It means it's not something that's planned. It's something that was unexpected. And when you call upon someone that's not there, that's pretty sad, isn't it? It's pretty discouraging. And to some degree, don't we remember that? Not in the sense that, oh, we're going to hold it against them, but we realize, you know what, next time I better call somebody else. Next time I better make sure I have that number in my phone for whatever it may be to someone else who I don't even know from some service to come and help me instead. You look at verse 15. He says, I will deliver thee, this being God speaking, and what will happen as a result? He says, and thou shalt glorify me. You know, maybe we have friends and acquaintances who will help us. I know that I do, and I'm very grateful for that. I know Brother Chris has on more than one occasion helped me in times, and he has, when, I remember one, one occasion we were in the uh, ER because I had allergic reaction to medicine, which seems to be kind of an ongoing theme. But anyway, and I mean, we were at the ER because of that, and we were there at 4 in the morning waiting to be cleared, and I was very thankful that he was there because I couldn't drive. Things would have, could have been quite differently if it wasn't for that. 
And that's just one example of one person. There's others who have done similar things as well. But I think about Psalm 15. He says, and thou shalt glorify me. They're going to glorify God because why? He was there in the day of trouble. Everybody's there, generally speaking, when everything's great, right? We go outside and the birds are chirping, the sun is shining. Everybody seems to be there and around to be happy to be there. But when the clouds gather, sometimes people scatter. That's why we can't rely upon men every time. Remember who really is the one we can rely on. That's God. We need to remember that when we as a Christian have things start to come up and the clouds begin to gather and begin to darken, we better go to God in prayer. He is our first responder, so to speak. Judgment of the wicked, we have to remember also the judgment of works rather belongs to God. We look at Psalm 62, looking this time at verse 12, the latter part of verse 12. He says, For thou renderest to every man according to his work. Meaning there are there is no such thing as a guilty person getting off, we should say sometimes scot-free, right? That nothing ever happens to them. Well, we know in our day and time, thanks to our corrupt system, that that happens a lot more than it should. It should never happen, right? But it happens all the time. But with God, you know, it, it will never happen because on the dead judgment, there is no way to get out. There is no lawyer to plead your case. No matter if money is going to change, no matter how many, how much fame you may have, that doesn't change anything. And we find here in verse 12, he says, For thou renderest to every man according to his work. That man there is a reference to mankind, to every person according to what? His work, not just his words, but his work. He rendereth to every man. I mean, he gives to every person based upon what they have done. God rewards the just for being just. However, he also punishes the wicked according to their wickedness. Look with me at Psalm 7. This time looking at verse 11. God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Think about that for a second. We say we hate the this, this sin, but we don't hate the sinner. Why is God angry with the wicked? Because they're in sin. There is no doubt that God loves mankind. We, we, know we, have, we only need one verse to show that, and John 3, 3, 16 reminds us of that, doesn't it? For God so loved the world, which he gets everybody when he says that, right? So loved the world means every living being. And he loved the world so much, loves the world so much, he sends only begotten son, right? And we find here in verse 7, uh, Psalm 7, verse 11, what is he talking about? God judges the righteous, and God is angry, angry at the wicked every day. Why? Because they won't be with him if they don't stop. That's why. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 reminds us of that, right? What separates us from God? Sin or wickedness. Well, the wicked are involved in sin. Well, why is he angry with them? Because they're not going to be with him forever. They don't knock it off. That's why he's angry with them. You ever been angry with a child, but still love that child at the same time? That's the idea, isn't it? We get upset with our children or our grandchildren, it may be at times, but it doesn't mean we don't love them, right? Now, as a child, when I heard that, I thought, yeah, right, whatever. But that's the case, isn't it? You're angry with them, but you still love them. You're angry with the person because you care about them. Think about this for a second. If you don't care about someone, are you going to bother enough to be angry with them, to be upset with them? If you don't care about them, hey, they can do whatever they want. 
You know, God never says that. He's angry with them because he wants them to come out of wickedness and come to the light. If he doesn't care about them, why would he be angry? He's angry because he does care. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verse 17. He says here, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for, there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. God will judge all mankind. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I mean, God will judge every purpose, every thought, every work of our hearts. You look at that phrase, I said in my heart, means he thought about this. He knew in his mind that the judgment day was and still is coming, right? You know, he doesn't speak of it as a possibility. He speaks of it as a surety. It's coming. God shall, not God might. God shall, not God possibly. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. God will judge all mankind. Some lessons for us today. We want to remember that God is our hope. From God, our salvation, the hope and rescue from evil and the price of sin, that's where our hope is in God, where he rescues us from those things. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. Truly my soul waiteth upon God, for he cometh my salvation. He, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. What is it that God brings? He brings salvation there, right, in verse 1. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. If we're moved, because not because of God, but because of us. You know, why did Peter sink on the water walking to Christ? Because he looked away. He got afraid. He forgot who he was walking to. Pick your reason. There's a lot of them. When, if, we are, if, our, if we are moved at all, it's because of us, not because of God. And we have a way to come back and be where we ought to be. And God being our defense, as we reminded there in verses 1 and 2. He is my rock and my salvation. Why do you think the term rock is used so many times in reference to God? Because generally speaking, keep in mind, we're not talking about a stone. We're talking about a rock. A rock, generally speaking, does not move, Right? I picture in my mind a boulder that does not move. You've been on a hiking trail, you're going through the woods, and you see just this giant rock coming out of the cliff. Are you afraid that's just going to, at the slightest touch, just fly off and move? No. You're probably pretty confident it's not going to go anywhere. God is that rock. He's not going anywhere. He is there. He is our defense. He is our salvation. As we're reminded there in verses 1 and 2. He also is our hope, and he is our expectation. In him is our expectation. Looking at Psalm 62 and verse 5, My soul waiteth, uh, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. We can expect and should know that everything that we have in life is from God and is because of God. We expect good things from God. When we say we expect good things from God, we know that when everything, anything good happens, it's because of God. We don't expect in the sense that we, well, we're, why isn't everything going great? That's not what we're talking about. 
We know that when things happen that are for the good, that God is with us. When things happen that are not so good, that God is there with us as well, helping us through those things. In order for that to happen, we have to remember that He is our rock, He is our salvation, He is our defense. He says here in verse 5, Wait thou only upon God. Wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Repeatedly we see how this hope is in God alone, as we find here in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 62. He only is my rock and my salvation. Why say only? Because He is the only. He is the only. You know, I get very disappointed sometimes. I start hearing men quote other men as if that makes something true. Men can be wrong. They're wrong all the time. You know, God has never once been wrong. If you were to put up a chart of victories and losses, there'd be a zero in the losses category, wouldn't there? He's never wrong. Mankind, however, believes they want to play, we want to place blame on God so many times, right? For when bad things happen, right? Atheists see evil, pain, and suffering in the world. And they say, well, well, God can exist because there's evil, pain, and suffering. Right, because mankind never makes an evil decision ever. It has to be God, right? Mankind has never done anything that causes pain and suffering upon others. No, that's God. No, that's not true at all. Evil, pain, and suffering began with mankind in the garden, didn't it? And it continues today because mankind has free will. We can choose to do whatever we want. And sometimes we make some terrible, disgusting, horrible decisions. And pain and suffering results because of it. We cannot point the finger at God. Well, we can, but it's going to be useless. In verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 62, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved, and God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. He has put his what in God in verse 7? Everything. Everything is in God. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. It's all in God. Are we putting all we have in God? Are we remembering that everything we have is in God? Salvation, our defense, any glory we may receive is from God. The strength in our place of refuge, all that is in God. Encouragement is given to the wicked to turn to God and to pour out their hearts to, to Him. As we find here in Psalm 62 and verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. He is a refuge for us. You've been out somewhere, maybe you're driving and the strong storm comes up, the heavy rain, the time you have to stop and pull over. Many times you try to find that gas station with that nice big awning and you wait underneath there and that's your place of refuge, so to speak, right? Until all that heavy rain stops. You know, God is that refuge for us. Not just when bad things are happening, but all the time. We bring our lives underneath the shadow of his wings as we are reminded in the Psalms, we are reminded in, in, by Christ in the Gospel accounts. He tells the Jerusalem how many times he's going to bring them together as a hen goes to her chicks under her, her wings, but they were not willing. They were not willing. 
See, that's usually the problem, isn't it? The problem is not with God, it's with us. It's the willing or the unwilling. Pour out your heart before him, he says in verse 8. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart before God. Confess your sins, your faults to God. That's the only way that true repentance and restoration happens is by repentance. Evil men lead others down evil paths. It's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? You follow evil people, you expect to find evil things. Look at Psalm 62 and verse 3. He says, How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a, as a uh, bowing wall shall, shall be, as a tottering fence. Well, what's a bowing wall and a tottering fence? They're soon, from falling up, soon about to fall over, aren't they? He says, that's like a wicked man. They're going to fall over pretty soon. Are you going to be with them? Do you be lumped up with them? No. Therefore, get away from them, right? Don't be clumped in with those who are going to be brought down because of their wickedness. The evil delight in false words and hide their true intent, as we find in verse 4. They only consult to cast down from His excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Does that sound like something you can put their trust in? You can put your trust in? Remember, God is what? Our place of refuge. He is our rock. He is our salvation. Our place of defense. The world, so many times, is what? Quite the opposite. Mankind, don't get me wrong, there are some people out there who are very kind and even moral sometimes. But they're no replacement for God or for the church or for his word. We are reminded here in verse 4, they consult to cast down evil, they cast down from his excellency. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, meaning they are phonies, they are frauds. Right? You ever had anyone talk about you behind your back? That's a reminder of there in verse 4. Inwardly, they do what? They curse, he says in verse 4. You know, God doesn't talk behind your back. <laughs> He'll show you the truth face to your face, right? And that's, that's really how we improve, isn't it? You know, that's kind of how we want our friends to be as well. Hopefully in love and show us, hey, you know, you might want to reconsider this idea or reconsider what you're doing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because sometimes we may realize, you know what? <laughs> You're right. That's a bad idea. We have to be those who allow God's word to be our standard and allow God to be our focus. You will never see heaven if you put your trust in men. You might say put your trust only in men because there are good brethren who we can confide in. But friends, when it comes right down to it, Remember, they're still not the standard. They're trying to follow it just like you are. God is our standard. Only God brings salvation. Going back to Psalm 62 and verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, for he cometh, for, for from him cometh my salvation. From God comes what? Salvation. That's why we wait on God. Our rescuing. The idea of casting out that line from a boat for those that person who's swimming and, and about to drown, and you cast out that that life vest to them. You are saving them. Thus they have what? They have found salvation in the physical sense that day, right? With God, though, it's spiritual. He is casting out that line for us that we have to grab hold, and by obedience, we are brought to him. But only 
if we realize that he is our true hope of salvation, only if we obey him. God is man's only hope. Trusting in others will be the downfall of many. Isn't that true? We have those today who want to quote scholars, want to quote other men, but they don't want to quote the Bible. They want to quote their preachers, their pastors. Sometimes they even just quote themselves. That's not the Bible, is it? We put our trust in God because in all reality, he is the only one that we can truly put our trust in. He doesn't change. He doesn't judge us based upon our looks or upon our appearance. He judges us, as the Bible reminds us over and over again, based upon our heart, based upon what we do, what we do not do, based upon our loyalty to him, and at times maybe based upon our disloyalty to him. 